Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, one and all. Chris Evans here. Welcome back to the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, Mock the Weeker, Dara O'Brien chats his brilliant live stand-up show. So, where were we? Um, brings us news of his brand new Channel 4 game show, One and Six Zeros. Wellness wonder Fern Cotton inspires us with her latest book, Bigger Than Us, The Power of Finding Meaning in a Messy World. Acting and musical sensation Kiefer Sutherland was live to talk about his third album, Blue Street. And years and years from an Ollie Alexander shares all about his wonderful new single, Sweet Talker, from the latest album, Nightcore. All that and so much more to come. Dapper Dave, who is first? His telly shows prove he can make you laugh sitting down and he's back on the road to do it standing up. His UK tour, So Where Were We, finally kicks off in March and you could be there for a night of one-liners and stories with not a whiff of the last 18 months. Please welcome a real breath of fresh air. It's Dara O'Brien! All right, Dara. Good morning. How are you? This is fantastic. I know. Isn't it lovely? It's the best place in the world to work, (laughs) isn't it? Look at that for a view. It's beautiful. It's a view. You can see the whole, uh, all of London in every direction. Yeah. Because you know, other shows in the past, they said, I live from the top of the tower, but they weren't. They were on the second floor yeah. the transmitter was at the top of the tower which is fair enough mm. and listening to it, it sounded really dramatic you yes. know you know and you get you listen to the hot 100 in, in new york or, or whatever it may be and uh, you, they all say you know we're live from this and the top of that and the other but we really are the, the, what it reminds me of is, is when i was a student we were we used to work with you do a summer working in america and because we worked for some an airport gift shop that was part of the marriott chain we got cheap into the marriott marquee in new york we piled four of us i think into a room for like 20 dollars each how much fun oh it was and we'd stand looking over manhattan on the 40 we got please give me the the, top, the highest room you have and we stood there going taking turns to go i own this town <laughs> staring across the city in a real like some like it was a we were a law firm and we were like, like this is when we were like 19 oh look at this city I own show this. me the money yeah oh, this is all mine I've conquered yeah, this yeah, place yeah. like for our $20 a night run a rollout bed uh, in a hotel room but you are you are sort of a semi-human version of that because you're just tall yes so, there is that so you've got a bit so of that going on haven't always. you always <laughs> I mean it was certainly in, in clubs uh, I remember going out I was very much the dominant feature on the dance floor you yeah. know I'd imagine that he, it's something I've never spoken to either Richard Osmond or Greg Davis about but imagine all of us at a time were going just scanning the room from a, an elevated position like meerkats Yeah because you can dancing. Google Earth that. You, can, you can do a bit of that with Google Earth can't you because you can be 10,000 feet can't you Yeah. you can be you can be um, uh, plan view I would imagine not plan view elevation view but then you can tilt it up a bit and that must be what your life is like Constantly Constantly looking down tops of people's heads Yeah. Uh, but with, uh, but assessing the situation at all you times 10-12 degree um, gradient uh, looking depends, down on the rest of us yeah, well, look, that's possibly that's why I'm not looming over you like like Darth Vader over people. But the but there's definitely an element of like at all times I'm the man to know where things are. Uh, I yeah. will be. I'll be. You know, I'm I'm keeping an eye on the distance yeah. uh, for predators. Lost child uh, lamppost number three. Yeah, absolutely. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. And uh, do you, do you have a showbiz height? 
a showbiz height. Yeah, I'll tell you why. Go I'll on. tell you why. Because Peter Crouch does. Because Peter Crouch lies about his height. You know, like people... Oh! Yeah. So, because he, he actually says, he states that he's smaller than he is uh, because he doesn't want to appear to be too tall for other people's perhaps liking. On That's paper. interesting. It is very interesting. Isn't it? And he, we've talked to him about it. So, you know, we can have the and conversation. He feels like, like he's like six, seven or something, isn't he? Yeah. He's, well, actually, does he, does he say six, six? Honest, Rachel has the skinny on this. Rachel, right. uh, I'm trying to remember. So Alex told me. So I think he says he's six, seven. He's actually six, nine. He's six nine. Yeah, that's, that's too much. That's, uh, that's, <laughs> it's because of that sort of I'm, reaction. I'm, I'm, I'm going off what are you? there. What are you? I, I'm, I, I suppose I'm six four, but I'm actually think I'm six three and a half. So I, I think it's so funny. I think it's what's really interesting about this. By the way, <laughs> Dara, Dara, I just keep mentioning you talk because obviously we're going to go off piece massively. Uh, Dara's on tour, right? Which is why he's on the show. Mm. Uh, DaraObrien.com. Uh, tickets to go and see Dara on tour in a moment. We'll talk about it in a moment. But look, he's on tour and he's brilliant. He's very funny. Go and see him. DaraObrien.com. He's also got a brand new... TV show coming out, which we sort of alluded to last time we had a chat. Uh, it's coming this spring to Channel 4. It's called One and Six Zeros. Those are wise ones. So let's just keep saying that every yeah, five it, minutes yeah, in between yeah. all this other stuff. So the thing about when you get over, I would say, because I'm six foot two, right? right? But to me, you are so much bigger than me, uh, taller than me. Yes. And I think, and so 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 is Peter Crouch. And um, who else do we talk? Rich Osmond, Osmond. And, and Greg, Davis. Davis. Greg, Greg Davis. Greg Davis. And also Stephen um, Merchant. Oh, Stephen Merchant, Merchant, yeah. Right? Now, technically, not technically, really, you are two inches taller than me. But I think every inch over, for me, six foot two, oh, it seems mean. like six inches. Because yeah. you seem so much taller than me. But yeah. you're too, and I'm like, he's so much taller than me. But you're not, you're just two inches taller than me. Yeah, but actually, I have that as well with, with those guys because I have to look up, which is not a thing I normally have uh, to is do. Is that why it is? Then I think it is that. It like is. But I also think the weird or the psychological thing is that people have, I, I look older than I have, I have always looked older no, than I am. I don't agree. Possibly not anymore, but I think I did when I was younger. Yeah, if you if you go old early, yeah. you, that, you, that will pay I sustain. off. That will yeah, pay okay. off so later on in Yeah, life. so people have no idea William really Hague. stage. William Hayes. <laughs> Yes, I'm very much. Looks amazing now. Yeah, the uh, so, but I think a lot of this is is if you're taller. I think as a kid, you're used to you look up to people who are older, and so people look up to you taller people. I think we're always seen as a little bit older because people are just used to. Psychologically, you're used to as a kid looking up to people who are older. And we don't look up enough generally. We don't. Maybe we. Maybe if I did that a bit more, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think you were taller, um, because then I'd. My perspective would be buildings. Yes. You and should, and you, and you should anyway, because my. God, I mean, look, we're in London for God's sake. You should be looking up all the time. People look down too much in London and don't look up at architecture and little things that are happening in the buildings above them. Just the general thing that I have. No, that no you should always be you. looking up because it's little all gargoyles. Those gargoyles. <laughs> it's, 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 it's all yeah. about the gargoyles. It is the gargoyles. It's Absolutely. the gargoyles and yeah. the copper domes. Yes, the now, stuff up there. The oxidised copper domes. Somebody sat and wrote that out and designed that, whatever, and everybody's just head down or you know looking at looking at the shoes, looking at the phone, like whatever. Oh, beautiful stuff. Dara, you're always welcome. Thanks for coming to see our home an absolute pleasure to see will this. you come again I'd love to come again okay. I mean I just come in to actually have a look around, to look at the cityscape because yeah. frankly the shard is very expensive so, so this is you can say frankly the show's not very good no, it started with shirt it began with frankly just going to have a look around <laughs> I, thought, I don't care I'll take what I can get whatever crumbs are on the table no I mean I'm not going to pay 23 quid to do the shard if I can just come up here uh, for free and have the same view yeah and yeah. get coffee and everything like that yeah it's lovely alright so we're going to bypass the news are we yeah it's Friday, you know Friday. do people need that now no. Honestly, a lot of moved on. This, we, this is the news. You are the news. Dara O'Brien's on tour, for heaven's sake. DaraO'Brien.com is where you need to go. What are you doing for the rest of the day, my friend? The, uh, I have a physio appointment on my knee, possibly without, just to check out my legs, see where we are. So you should get him to go the other way. I need, to, I need my limp back. 
what exercise can I do to get a limp back? He will know. No one she has ever. She will know. They she, will no know. No one has ever asked her that. Like whatever. Look, it's gone too far. It's gone too well. It's too well. <laughs> I need. I the limping is was my thing. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like if somebody go, no, we, 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 all your hair's grown back. No, no, no. I would like yeah. go back like looking at that. The yeah. So yeah. Okay. God, my. It's like when you, whenever I lose weight and people go, no, it doesn't suit you. Yeah. Uh, and you go, really? Yeah. That's not really not helpful. Funny. You're not, you're not yeah, you funny. Know, you really put the pounds back on again. Yeah. Oh, the comedy oh. pounds. Yeah. All right, pal. A pleasure. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. From radio and telly to podcasts and publishing, our next guest always knocks it out the park. Her new book, Bigger Than Us, The Power of Finding Meaning in a Messy World, is out now. So here to declutter, polish and shine if you think you just don't have the time. It's the marvellous Fern Cotton! Yeah! Mrs Hinch gets a mention in the book. She almost got a mention in the intro there, didn't she? (laughs) Hello, Fern. Oh, it's so nice to see you. So nice to see you. you. Listen, your books are so successful now that in foils on the fourth floor, because I go there quite a lot, you have your own section. What? You have your own section. I didn't know that. You and Jeremy Clarkson. He's got his section. You've got your section. What great company I'm in. Um, bigger than us, Fern Cotton. Now, you do talk a lot in the first third of this book about how writing it has changed your life. So yes. sh- Should we start there? It's up to you where we start. I don't really mind. Yeah, no, it has. It, ha- it sounds almost like a cliche, but it definitely has. And, you know, you know the power of writing, getting something down on paper and doing that, I guess, sort of self-inventory and looking at across the whole span of your life and the baggage that you've carried around with you and why you've taken certain negative stories with you. And I think this book helped me unpick a lot of that. And I talked to lots of wonderful people in the book that helped me get to that place, I guess. So I'm by no means like, yay, I'm fixed. I'm like the best I've ever been. But I've certainly made sense of a lot of stuff in the past that I think I found tricky before. Yeah. It's wonderful and it's guru-tastic. It's, it's, Thank you. You, you talk to all these people that you've been lucky enough uh, by your own admission yeah. to come into contact with and have the have the opportunity to sort of, um, uh, um, not not interview, but to, but um, more, more than that, gr- you grill these people, don't you? Yeah, extract you, what I can. Because you want to know everything uh, about what you want to find out. So um, a couple of things, uh, well, many things. You, you've fallen off, you say... You'd fallen off the yoga wagon, <laughs> which I love, and the meditation wagon. Yeah, meditation wagon, big time. Which is really interesting because you and I know this, and, and Vassas and Rachel know this, and a lot of people listening know this. When you know um, that something's really good for you and you do it, it still doesn't mean you might stop doing it I know. one day. I know. I, I was really into meditation sort of 20 years ago, and then 10 years ago I had a big influx of doing it again and then more recently you know I could bring out all the excuses I've got kids I've got a busy life which means I need to do it more but I don't and I know it's good for me and that's why I spoke to the wonderful Jambo in the book because he is a meditation teacher anatomy teacher yoga teacher and even though I've listened to what he said and I know that it works I still find it hard to have the discipline to do it every single day. Having successfully done it for years in the past. I know. I know, but this Strange. is how weird we are as I humans. I know, I know, I know. What is I, wrong with us? And I love the fact that, you know, he talks, he, he takes you through who's talking to who in our heads, yeah. you know. And, um, you know, we had this amazing guy last week talking about um, his book called Chatter, which is about the voice in our head. And the voice in our head can have a conversation with us. And is it the ego talking to the self or is it the self talking to the ego? But now and again, and I love this, those voices can get together on our behalf and uh, and you know along with us and then we can talk to something else now i interpret that as prayer now you my the, yep. my favorite chapter in the book is the is the chapter on prayer mm. because you don't have to be religious to pray 
Um, no. And most of us sort of do anyway. Uh, who did you talk, Who do you interview in the book about that and, and what did you discover? She's a great friend of mine called Donna Lancaster and she's got a really interesting backstory. She used to run this amazing retreat, but retreat in the truest sense where you would go to sort of heal deep trauma. It was called The Bridge. So I found out about Donna through friends who had been on The Bridge. She no longer does that, but now she sort of dedicates her work to helping other people overcome trauma and, and tough times. But she's super passionate about non-religious prayer. So we kind of got stuck into that in the book. And as you said, you know, we all kind of do it without even knowing it, whether we're sort of secretly sending little wishes out there, asking for help or guidance. But I think when you do it in, again, a more disciplined way or you implement it into your everyday or every evening routine, it's really powerful. It's Because, you know, even if you just look at it in a law of attraction sense, you're putting your focus into things you know you want to have a certain outcome or positive energy to people that you love and want to invest time in. So I've loved implementing that. That's been much easier than meditation for me because every night at bedtime, I just run through a little list of people that I would like to send you know, good wishes and love to. And I ask for guidance on things I'm finding tricky. And it's just a beautiful thing to to do every day. I love it. You're amazing. Oh, you're amazing. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Chris. Okay, give your podcast a a name check. So my podcast is called Happy Place. You can get it wherever you listen to it. Who's on soon? Uh, So we've got an amazing lady called Dr Pippa Grange on Monday who is a fear expert. She trains people to reduce fear in life, performance, uh, fear of performing, (laughs) performance fear, whatever you call it. She's worked with the England team, Gaz Southgate, loads of top CEOs. She is phenomenal. She has a book called Fearless and it's great. Okay, happy place podcast from wherever you get your podcast. And this book is out now. It's bigger than us, Fern Cotton. And Fern, uh, you're amazing. It's it's quite incredible because Russell is in the same boat as you are. And I suppose I am in a way because I I have you lot on the show and you 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 have those lot on your podcast you know if we can't fix ourselves because <laughs> we talk to all these people i know what chance does anybody else i know or you know or they just listen to us being crazy and that's that's enough for them they're going well they're, yeah i'm better than those guys they feel much more normal after this chat that's for sure cheers fun thanks chris the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky virgin radio if it's a scene, he can act it. If it's a guitar, he can play it. And if it's a lyric, he can sing it. His brand new album, Bloor Street, is out now. So, ladies and gentlemen, give him 24 hours and no sleep, he'll save the world. <laughs> give him a couple of minutes and a guitar, he'll blow your mind. It's the one and only Kiefer Sutherland! <laughs> Good morning, Kiefer! Good morning. Arguably the best introduction I've ever had. What do you mean, arguably? <laughs> <laughs> now, I know... How are you? I'm very well. Thanks so much for staying up so late to talk to us. I know that you've been doing press today... Uh, from 6am and it's now 1.30am the next day where you are. How's it been, my friend? Well, I, I, I probably should have done something like this for research for 24, but it's been it's been a long day. <laughs> uh, but pe- people have been really, really generous and, and people have been really kind about the record. So yeah. I'm excited about that. And are we the last on your list? Can you finally go to bed after this? No, I've got one more. Uh, I've got one more at 3.30 this morning. So. Oh, my goodness me. <laughs> I don't know how sober I'm going to be for that one, unfortunately. All right, well, so, is it just um, paint a picture of, of what, what's around you now. Where are you? Um, what's in front of you? D- just I do that in, for us. I am in Los Angeles, California. Yep. I am in my dining room. Right. Right. Uh, uh, looking into a borrowed computer. I'm probably the last person you'll ever know that doesn't own their own computer. Uh, and so I've had to borrow all this stuff to do uh, this, this, these last few days of interviews. 
Um, and I can't wait for this stuff to get out of my house. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll get out of your hair in a moment or two. Don't worry about that. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so sorry that we're not doing this in person. Um, oh. Man, I am ready for COVID to be in the rearview mirror. Well, I think it's uh, it's definitely moving um, uh, around the car uh, to, towards the trunk, I would say, for most of us, hopefully, anyhow. Um, yeah. Let's just talk about the fact... Um, you, you, by the way, you don't need to apologise. Thank you for doing that. But I know you, you sort of feel in a similar frame of mind to do with the tour that was going to be happening in the UK as we speak. Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, a year and a half, uh, we pushed the record back uh and have just been so excited about finally getting out and touring and and kind of tried to do everything right with regards to the pandemic and then of course uh we just guessed wrong uh, we could have probably gone out and toured in september and and uh but i i honestly hope and and believe that this will be over uh sooner than later and we will get over there and get to play yeah that's that's the sense of what we're we're, we're feeling at the moment all right so it's all in there and uh, this album it's um it's an homage to uh country music which i know came to you uh, later in your uh, musical um inner jukebox we'll talk about that in a second or two but you've got post-prison therapy on this album uh, you've got hometown nostalgia you've got a love letter to your mum. you got it all going on Kiefer. i do it's um you know uh the pandemic uh, was good for a couple things. Uh, I did manage to quit smoking during this time, uh, which I never thought was going to happen. And it also made me slow down enough to kind of really reflect on my own life. And a lot of the songs that I wrote down during the pandemic are really a reflection on how grateful I am uh, for the life I've been able to lead, for the career that I've been able to have, for my family and friends. Uh, and so a lot of the songs are actually some of the most positive and hopeful songs I've ever written. Uh, and I and I hope that translates to the listener. Yeah, no, absolutely. hundred percent. And let's talk about um, let's talk about the fact because you started off uh, as, as a rocker, didn't you? So so how did you what what brought you to country music and where musically did you come from? So let's talk about the first three uh, Sutherland albums, maybe. Um, and let's talk about what you were what you were around, what you were listening to and how you got to country. Because everybody in the end comes to country uh, music, country and Western music because it's awesome. Well, the thing that I I mean, I, I loved I love rock and roll, uh, you know, uh, Led Zeppelin and ACDC and Aerosmith and the Rolling Stones, really favorite bands of mine. Uh, but I could listen to Black Dog off of Led Zeppelin 4, and I couldn't tell you specifically through that lyric what the song was about. Uh, and when I would listen to Johnny Cash sing A Boy Named Sue, I knew exactly what the song was about, and it told a story. Uh, and stories are what what... what get me going as an actor, uh, working with other actors to tell a story. And as a songwriter, uh, being able to write a song that has a beginning, a middle and an end uh, is something that motivates me trying to write in the first person narrative. Uh, and that that's those are songs that have kind of moved me personally and songs that uh, kind of have inspired me to write. And that is generally going to be in the kind of Americana uh, country genre. Yeah, it's amazing, you know, how much of a story you can get into a song in three minutes. You can get twists and turns, can't you get? You can get heroes <laughs> yes. and villains. It's so yeah. clever. Yeah. Um, let's focus on track four for a second or two. I mean, you know, we've all heard the album. Uh, we're all pretty much in love with uh, track four, which I'm sure you'll be pleased to hear because it's about your mum. Thank you. Uh, track four, So Full of Love. Um, tell us about this, if you don't mind. Well, So Full of Love is about a lot of things. Uh, but my, my mother did pass at the very beginning of the pandemic. And, uh, and you know, but So Full of Love was just an expression uh, 
about just kind of how lucky I've been in my life uh, with my family and my friends. And, and now all of a sudden, I'm not in a position to be able to see them the way I want. And I, I am even more grateful for how much they mean to me. Uh, I'm grateful for the fact that, that, that I have a home that I'm comfortable in and that my family is safe. And for all of these different reasons, uh, I wrote this song. And, uh, and again, when I first started humming it and singing it, uh, I think I came up with the, the chorus line in the shower and I'm singing, you know, I'm so full of love, I can't hold it down, floating like a butterfly off the ground. I remember stopping and going, oh my God, who is this? Uh, because that's not my nature. I'm, you know, I, I can be a little cynical and I can be sarcastic. Uh, but, but I really felt this to the marrow of my bones and, 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 and again, it, it, to me, it's a, a general expression of just gratefulness and gratitude for the life I've been allowed to live. Uh, and, and I hope that, again, translates to the listener. Keith, listen, have a great um, final interview after us. Congratulations on A, staying awake, B, um, doing the thing. That, and you know about this because you're a pro. You know, you, you've done the heavy lifting making the album, you know, and then you're going you're gonna to stay up for 24 hours to sell it. Of course you are, because that's the important thing, isn't it? And some people uh, keep one foot in the irony camp and don't really want to be seen to selling or their wares or whoring out as they may sort of frame it in their own mind. But it's so important to do this. So congratulations. Well done. You are awesome. You, all, you always deliver whenever you t- we talk to you well bless your heart yeah I, again I, I really hope that we see you in person and do this again uh, sooner than later and thank you for taking the time well thank you too and you are welcome to come and play live on this show so let's let's oh, great let's just make that happen keep for Sutherland here we go the best of the Chris Evans breakfast show with Sky Virgin Radio If you want timeless pop music or moving performances in stellar TV shows, then look no further than our next guest. His latest single, Sweet Talker, from the new album Night Call, is out now. And here to tell us all about it is the sweet talker, sweet actor and sweet singer, Ollie Alexander. Ollie, 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 Ollie. How are you doing today, Ollie? Woo! Great. That was such a lovely intro. Thank you. Ollie, you are the best. (laughs) <laughs> you're just the best. No, no, you're the best. No, honestly, um, you're 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 flying at the moment. I didn't realise you're 32. For heaven's sake, jeez. Um, how do you how, how do you feel? How old do you feel? Because I don't feel 55. I feel 32. Let me tell you. Um, how do you feel? I thought you were 20 odd. Sorry, I, th- I thought you've always been 20 odd. Even though I've known <laughs> we had we met on a train once. That was about 50 years ago. So how can he be 20 odd? Anyhow, <laughs> go on off you go, Ollie. I am. Um, I'm 32 in July, so so please don't age me more than I than I actually am. Right. Okay, <laughs> uh, but I feel good. I like it. I like um. I like being in my 30s. Yeah, I loved my 30s. I thought they were awesome because it's when the two worlds collide, you know, uh, because you have these two, you have these two sort of diagonal lines. I think, you know, one is is youth and vitality and the other one is experience and and potential wisdom. And they start at opposite ends of the axis. Obviously, the first one starts when you're born, but they sort of have an equal trajectory and then they Mm. meet and they meet somewhere in your 30s. And that's when you, you're just, you're just, bomb proof when that happens I think yeah I like that yeah I feel like I'm um, using the the lessons I've learned but I've still got lots to lots still left to learn yeah, so. yeah. it's cool man and um, by the way uh, round of applause standing ovation actually from us three for it's a sin channel four last yeah Okay, we're actually standing up now <laughs> thank you thank you oh, I mean what a program you what a game changer that was wasn't it oh my gosh it's I can't believe it came uh, it came out a year ago now just changed my life and just so much yeah 
how did it change life? How has it, how does it continue to change your life? I think I was just making the TV show was so profound, just learning and kind of like engaging with this time in history. So kind of so intimately. And then, and then once the show came out, just how, how much it's touched people and the conversations that I have with my friends, my family, people in the street, um, it's just, yeah, it's really opened up this whole kind of area that I, um, think still really needs to be discussed and people want to talk about, but I know. Yeah, it was, it was so profound. It was so, it was so cool. You know, in parts it was so cool. So joyous, it was so sad, it was so tragic, but there was nothing wrong with that TV show. Do you know what I mean? It was just, it was, from, from my mind's eye at least, and also my sort of viewer's eye, it was perfectly pitched. It was perfectly scripted. You were all amazing. Uh, it was amazingly directed. Directed, you know, it was it was the rhythm of it was was spot on. It just oh. it just felt fantastic, my friend. Thank you. I mean, every I mean, oh my gosh, what an amazing group of people that from Russell, the writer, to the director, to the rest of the cast. So it was just one of them where everyone just was so so good. Right. So you got all that going on, and now you have a brand new album out. I've got to say, it's one of the best things I've heard for ages, and it's not really, you know, it's not really my kind of music, Ollie. But I don't know why. I promised myself I would say that to you, even though it's sort of not what I I mean. But I just want to convey <laughs> the fact that it's. I love all kinds of music, but the, you know. When I listen to it by the weekend or by Justin Timberlake or by Justin Bieber or, or, or whatever, you know, I always think, why don't I listen to this music more? But you can only listen to so much music in one lifetime. Do you know what I mean? It's true. Um, and But your album, it's, God, it's so... I, it's the fifth time I listened to it today on the way in. And it, it is just a joy. And it's all about... It's just all about love, isn't it? That's what it is. It, it really is. Thank you so much. So happy you, you like it. It's... um. Really, the whole album is just full of like, it's all about connection and meeting someone and that feeling you get when you're with someone, you miss them. And yeah, because I, I was missing all of that stuff during lockdown pretty much. So right. I put it all into the album. And it's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, uh, you have your the obvious bangers when you listen to an album and you've been doing it for years, you know, like you have and I have, you know, certain tracks jump out at you and you think, well, there's a single, there's a single, there's a single. And then... You have uh, you have other tracks that you think well that's probably not a single um, and you, but that's the whole point of an album and and what happens is the sort of not the least appealing tracks but the sort of least um, uh, salient tracks when you first hear an album end up being I think even after five listens the tracks you almost look forward to because they're the they're the pools of calm in in the forest of of the rest of the record do you know what I mean. Right, right. I love because like intimacy is like yes, please. I want more. Yeah. Like, by the way, there's a lot of George Michael in there. If you don't mind me saying that as well, you know. Thank you. There is, there is. I mean, oh my gosh, I love George Michael so much. And this time round, I really wanted to try and because what I love so much about George was his personality and his voice. Like, and you felt it in the vocal when you listened to the song. Yeah, and yeah. I just, I really wanted to get some of that energy in for myself. <laughs> so thank you. What are you going to do acting wise next? Uh, I don't have any plans yet, but I, I like. I'd like to do something. It was yeah. fun. All right. Uh, uh, so, so you got the tour in May. You got the album out now. Uh, you got third single off the album. Uh, and what about the, you got? Any, do you want to? Do you want to come and play live at one of our festivals as well? Do you want to? Do you want to come and live with us? <laughs> yes, I like this. Uh, <laughs> we can't get enough of you. The style of interview is it's, it's quite fun. <laughs> yeah, but hopefully it's more of a conversation. Yes. yes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, anything you'd like to say to your fans? Because I know they're tuning in because we're getting texts from them. Anything you'd like to say to people listening? Just thank you, thank you for listening, and I appreciate the support. Honestly, it's um, it's been it's such a whirlwind, but I'm just great, very grateful. All right. And so, what are you doing for the rest of the day on your Monday? Um, I think I have a little bit more 
promo to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about it. I'm going to go to the gym. Nice. Tell, um, us, tell us about your gym regime. <laughs> well, I've got quite... I've got gym in my building, my apartment building. Nice. I know, which nice. is very glam. Very cool. So, yeah, so it's it's very small, but usually there's no one else in there. So I just go down and just make 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 something up and right. sort of like having your own personal gym. It's very good. And by the way, um, your front cover shot on GQ magazine, yeah. Yes. Uh, that was awesome, and it's sold out quicker than any other GQ where I see my GQ. Did so, it? So well done. Yeah. That's good. That's good. It's cool, isn't it? And most sellers already on the next one. It's GQ Weekly now. It seems like this. No, it's not. It's still monthly, isn't it? All right, Ollie, you, you're awesome. Uh, th- <laughs> thanks for putting up with me. I apologise for everything. Uh, I really appreciate you, and thank you so much for listening. And I, I, I'm really happy you like the album. It means a lot. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky Virgin Radio. All right, so we've heard from a bunch of sensational guests already, but still to come, legendary British film writer and director Julian Fellows tells us all about the highly anticipated, now highly acclaimed, brand new nine-parter Sky Atlantic series called The Gilded Age. Award-winning professor Katie Milman talks about her brilliant new book, How to Change the Science of Getting from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be, and her amazing podcast, Choiceology. And documentary Diane and Strictly star Stacey Dooley share stories from her new book, Are You Really Okay? Understanding Britain's Mental Health Emergency and news of her In Conversation UK tour. Oh, plus don't forget, Starling Bank founder Anne Bowden, who came up with an online bank a virtual bank on a laptop in a calf that's now worth two and a half billion pounds and counting. Tell us how she did it all. I mean, that's that's the story there. So let's get right back to it. Dapper Dave, who's next? From dancing shows to documentaries, our next guest seems to waltz effortlessly through them all. Well, now you can add publishing to that list. Her superb new book, Are You Really OK?, is out on Thursday. So, ladies and gentlemen, you'd have to be a total foolie not to love... Hey. Stacey we love you, Stacey. We dooly. <laughs> Come on, Dave, you know, you know better than that. We love you, Stacey. We dooly. We love you, Stacey. We dooly. We love you, Stacey. We truly love you, Stacey Dooley. I'm going to have the ump if I don't get introduced like this every well, single time. That's why you should never go on any other radio show but I this one. I completely agree. But then, of course, you? you're going to sell loads of books and then you must. And very well, but I'm not as fit and flighty as you because you have danced up <laughs> not 17 flights of stairs, probably 30, whatever it is, 34 flights of stairs I would imagine because you don't do lifts and we're on the 17th floor and I think there's two flights of stairs in between each floor you're absolutely spot on I just I'm so terrified of lifts and I know it's completely ridiculous it's bonkers but I just sort of get all out of sort and then I panic and so I just asked very nicely am I right to take the stairs and he was such a sweetheart the guy the security lad and he yeah he didn't moan at all so thank you ever so no, much no well we got a heads up on this on Wednesday and so when I when I when I received the briefing notes it's about you rider. that was right that was up the, the top she will not be taking the lift i said okay fair oh. enough and um, i'm glad you told me but i didn't need to know but now obviously we're talking about it as far as stair climbs go to get to interviews are we your 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 biggest challenge thus far you're certainly up there chris i mean we, li- we literally are up there but this is such a beautiful view oh, what a treat i can't believe it. you come to work every day I and this is what you get to don't see tell them, otherwise we'll have to start paying yeah, i took a little video i know it's but yeah thank you for having me i'm delighted to be here well come on which other shows have, have have come close to our our 34 flights of stairs well well when i made a documentary in tokyo yeah i had to do a couple of 
20th floor so jobs. you just don't you don't do lifts period I know I need to get to grips with it because yeah. it's stupid. No, it no, is, it's not stupid. You know, it's phobia. It's a phobia. Yeah, but sometimes I miss out on treats. Like there was this really fancy restaurant that I wanted to go to when I was in Thailand and everyone went and I had to stay downstairs and I think I had like their version of Greg's um, and they were up having this sort of beautiful meal to celebrate the end of the series. But So I, I don't want to miss out on things. So Have you addressed it from a hypnotherapy point no, of maybe view? Maybe I should. I'm not well, dead up for I it. I don't understand when people have serious phobias that affect their life like yours right. does. Right, no, I can't. And yeah. I have parents who are frightened of flying. And I said, have you done hypnotherapy? And everybody says no. And I go, but it takes an hour. And it can so they can do, they can so you in one hour. I know this because the gentleman to your left and to my right, Vassos, had a fear of snakes. And we invited, because I said the same thing to you. Have you ever done hypnotherapy? And you went, no. But if it's blight your life to such an extent, not there are that many snakes around Mars. There are some snakes around Mars. Plenty of sharks in cherry <laughs> business. But anyway, that's a different thing. <laughs> And so you did it for an hour on the show and you were cured. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was such a proper phobia of snakes. I couldn't see... If anyone texted the word snake, I'd have to delete that text. In a newspaper, you know, my family would sort of... If there was, if there was, a, if there was a picture of a snake in the newspaper, I'd have to throw it away. My family... Oh my if there was a snake on the telly, the family would all sort of go and, and, and hide the telly from me. I was... It was I was... Ugh, I would dream about them. It was just... And I thought... Oh, that's super crippling, yeah. Yeah, and I thought, well, that's just, that's just me. It's okay. Luckily, I don't live in Australia. I live in Barnes. There's no snakes, really. I've got nothing to worry about. <laughs> And I did hypnotherapy for it was it was like three or four sessions, right. and then I knew on the Friday <laughs> a python was coming into the studio. Obviously, it didn't have to if I was particularly worried about it, but I did, and I held a python. So from that oh. on the Monday to on a Friday, I held a python. You should feel so proud of yourself. Right, I'm going to do it. Fine, okay, I'm going to do it. Maybe really? I'll get his number. Have you thought about it before? Mm. Well, I just think it's it's bonkers that. I have to think about these things. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'd love to come see Chris. Love to come see the studio. Da 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 da. How will I get up there? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to take his details. You know, yeah, it's, do. It's yeah. All the more interesting and fascinating because you, what you do is you get to the bottom of things, isn't it? <laughs> but like lots of people in, you know, life coaches and things like that, wounded healer, whatever. Uh, it's easy to get to the bottom of other people's things than our own. Oh uh, yeah. And for you, it's uh, easy to get to the top of people's things than maybe here. Because because that's what you have to do. And um, your book, Stacey Dooley, Are You Really Okay? It's out next Thursday. It's a beautiful book. It's a very sensitive book. It's a very sensitive uh, subject. And it's it's off the back of a sort of this is the sort of um, the the third uh, tenet, if you like, in a trilogy of which the first two tenets were television shows. So just tell us a little bit about how it all came to be. Yeah, do you know it's so funny, Chris. I never sort of sit down and think, right, I'm desperate to write a serious, sensitive, quite earnest book. But for whatever reason, it just always ends up sort of going down that route. Um, but you're, you're totally right. We made a couple of episodes um, for the BBC documentaries where essentially we were based in um, a, a mental health hospital in South London. Yep. And I just learned a huge amount. And I think I hadn't sort of anticipated the enormity of, of the situation. I think we've all met pals or, you know, family members or whatever that have had a really tricky time or have felt poorly and, you know, they've had poor mental health. But I just hung out with all the, the NHS workers and to see the scale of things was just really super sobering. Um, and I learned very quickly as well, you know, you haven't sort of coffee with the people coming in and out it's like no one's exempt do you know what I mean so we wanted to extend the conversation um and then we were talking about right what we're going to do for the second book and so it just felt like a, a bit of a no-brainer I suppose yeah 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 and so the BBC3 show the original show was in 20 when was it we did that 
before. That was pre-pandemic. Yeah, 2018. I That's think, it. Wasn't it. No, it's 2019. 2019. Chris. And it went out on BBC Three, didn't it? Yes. And yeah. you didn't know how it was going to land. No. And like literally a second after it finished, all all you you received was was love, appreciation, gratitude empathy it was amazing wasn't it well i had i had concerns legit concerns because when we were sort of flirting with the idea whether or not you know you could film and it's appropriate to film in a mental health hospital i was thinking well how you know there's a duty of care there and how do you get genuine consent when somebody's poorly you know how do we make sure that this doesn't feel sort of gratuitous or salacious and so we were back and forth and we made sure like the way they give consent is very different. It's rolling consent. Yeah, so t- just could... explain what rolling consent yeah. is. Yeah, so typically when, you'll know so much more than me, but when you make a documentary or you ask someone to contribute to a conversation, you get written consent and, you know, sometimes on-camera consent and that's, you know, that's adequate. But when somebody's poorly, you know, you have to sort of make sure that you keep going back to whether or not they feel comfy and is this something you still want to talk about? Is this something you still want to do? Why do you want to do this? And this goes on for months, you know what I mean? And there was one lady, she was so brilliant and so, so relatable. Um, And we filmed with her for a couple of weeks and then she actually said, you know what, I don't fancy it anymore. It's not for me and my circumstances have changed. And that was totally fine. Like, we just took her out of the film. Um, So a lot does go into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it has to be that way. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because, you know, again, without sounding, you know, sort of too Miss World, you know, you have to be able to look at yourself at the end of that and think, right, we really, we really did our... We really did our best there. Stacey Dooley, are you really okay? Understanding Britain's mental health emergency is out next Thursday. Thanks, Stacey. Thank you, Chris. Thanks You're awesome. Thanks so much. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Nobody gets a television audience high on society like our next guest and his new show is no exception. New series The Gilded Age started yesterday on Sky Atlantic. So please welcome a fellow that's a very tough act to follow because the fellow to follow is, of course, Julian Fellows. Good morning, Julian. Well, very good morning to you. How are you today? Uh, I'm good, actually. I, I'm feeling quite sort of jolly about the whole thing, really. Well, I'm not surprised. Your new TV show is delicious, Julian. Oh, thank you. That's so nice to hear. Honestly, it's so, so good. We all watched it last night, and I am not blowing smoke up where the sun don't shine. It is awesome. I love it. I love the fact that it's not in Britain because I'm learning a bit more. I'm intrigued. You know, I love all your stuff anyway, but I'm so intrigued about New York in the 1880s because that would be Victorian for us. What was it for them? By the way, why don't you frame up, frame up for everyone listening who's not watched it yet? What's going on? By the way, how did it happen? How did all this come about? Well, it originally came about because I was just literally reading a book about um, the Vanderbilts and I suddenly got fascinated by this extraordinary period of history in America, where uh, literally America kind of came of age after the end of the Civil War, at the end of the 1860s. And in that period leading up to the First World War, kind of half a century, they sort of refined the notion of being America. They didn't anymore imitate Europe. They devised a new way of doing things, a new way of being rich, a new kind of society and all of this stuff. And I started to read on and I read about Jay Gould and Andrew Carnegie and uh, JP Morgan and all of these giants. I mean, of course they're called robber barons now and they were robber barons really, but they and their wives between them devised this new way of, of being. And I found that very interesting. And then gradually in my head, it sort of turned into a TV show. And then, um, uh, you know, I got people interested and, and, and so on. Uh, and, um, 
and we went from there, really. It had quite a long gestation because at the beginning, I was still up to my neck in Downton. Yes. But gradually it came through uh, and now it's been made. And how do you feel today? You know, I mean, you could be forgiven for lying on your back with a glass of champagne, I would imagine, this morning because the world is already in love with the show. How does that feel? Is it relief? Is there a sense of celebration? Is it, oh, oh my goodness me, I better write season two then? You know, is it a combination of all those things? Yes. I mean, of course, uh, if it's true and, and, and we really have made a hit show, then nobody's happier than I am. But, um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always a little bit shy of claiming success. There is another television writer, I forget his name, who always goes on TV and says, oh, I've written this show, it's going to be a marvellous hit. And I never have the nerve <laughs> to do that. I, I feel I have to be sort of told by the audience whether or not we have a hit. But I, I agree the signs are promising. I think we've got a good show. I mean, as much as you can hope for is that you feel proud of what you've done. And I think uh, we have the right to feel that we've made a good show. I think you've made a fantastic show. I think it's going to be a worldwide smash because that's how smashes work nowadays. And do you, how far down the line do you know what's going to happen to these characters? Could the reaction, um, you know, or the response from the audience change the way you might um, frame different characters going forward? Or is that pretty much is is it is it in flux? Yes, it's, I mean everything is in flux. But uh, I, I think one has a sort of idea about if there is another series, and and I you know still say it. But if there is another series, I think you know how that series will end. Right. But what I never try to do is guess beyond that. Uh, I you know I do a sort of mouthful at a time. And um, uh, and I think we would I do know what will happen to them if we do another year. Right. But beyond and that, then, and then we have to see. OK. And down to the movie, of course, happened. And um, there's going to be another one. I understand. Where are we with that? Uh, well, I don't really know when it's going to be released. It keeps changing. Uh, but uh, I, I'm pleased with the film. I mean, I think it's it's a you know, it's a feel good movie, but I don't think there's any harm in people feeling good just now. Uh, and I think we've had a couple of rather tough years. Uh, and so I, I'm pleased to think that I'll give some people a jolly evening in the cinema <laughs> and then they can go off and have dinner. I mean, that's that's enough for me. You know, but people sometimes say, what do you think of your legacy and all this stuff? I, I don't need a legacy. I need the feeling that I've cheered a few people up. Yeah, and also you're a very in-the-moment person, regardless of the fact you write about history a lot. I, you, I sense that you're completely in the moment. Uh, were, were you any good at writing stories at school? I don't know. I used to write very long letters, which I think is quite a similar thing. I used to... I had a correspondence with one of my wife's aunts, and she couldn't really get out and about. And I used to write these letters describing things we'd done and events we'd been to and all this sort of thing. Uh, and, and I think that was a kind of training. And then I went to live in Los Angeles in the early 80s. And I was sort of sitting there by the pool waiting to be asked to dance, you know, which is what most people in Los Angeles are doing. Uh, and I would have friends who were working in the film industry and they would give me scripts and say, do you, I've been offered this by Fox and do you think I should do it? And I would read it and I'd say, well, I think the first two thirds are great, but you never really understand why the doctor left the house. And, and that, I suppose, looking back, was my sort of script training. You know, it was a, a moment when I started to analyze scripts and not 
as an actor, simply be grateful that anyone was asking me to do anything, you know. Uh, and, and, and that, I think, was quite useful to me, you know. Julian, thanks so much for being on the programme. No, I'm delighted. Thank you for asking me. OK, you've been absolutely awesome. You are awesome. Julian Fellows, brand new creation, The Gilded Age, is now available to watch via Sky Atlantic. It's an HBO, NBC, Sky production, and it is absolutely gorgeous, delicious. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Next time you see someone glued to a laptop in a cafe, take a closer look as they could be writing a hit novel about a young wizard or, like our next guest, starting a bank from scratch. Listen closely as we get her checking account of exactly how it happened. It's founder and CEO of Starling Bank, Anne Bowden! Good morning, Anne! Good morning, and so excited to be here! <laughs> We're really excited to have you here. And by the way, so many people, so many of our listeners are Starling Bank customers, and so many people that I didn't know were into fintech say that you are an absolute legend. I already think that any Anyhow, and I've only known you for about a minute. Um, tell us about setting up an actual bank that you are you, you remain the founder of in a cafe on a laptop in your 50s. Well, I'd spent a long time in banking yeah. and I thought banking had become very stale. You know, it's all very inward looking. The financial crisis had made the banks, well, they were boring. And technology was changing everything. People were shopping differently, buying their music differently. And I wanted a bank that was different. I wanted a bank that actually did, well, believed in customers, actually gave great value. So I kept thinking, somebody must start this bank. And then one morning I got up and thought, that's going to be me. And I quit my job to start a bank. And it was one difficult journey. But now we are, well, Starling, and I bought you some socks, by the way, Chris. You've got your Starling Bank socks. Yeah, these we, are Starling Bank socks. It's got, very, very important that you wear them. Uh, you've also got Starling Bank umbrellas in case you want to save for a rainy day or something like that. <laughs> but uh, so, you, so you started this bank on a laptop in a cafe. This is a true story, isn't it? This is yeah, actually this is, how, this is how it started. It happened. So what was the what, what are the first two, three, four, five things that you, you did? Because, by the way, what's really amazing about this is you did consider opening a dress shop. Well, I realised I knew nothing about dresses, but I knew a lot about banking. But it could have, it could have gone either way. Yeah, I, I came to the conclusion that I was I was ashamed to be a banker. Right. We'd mess things up. Right. And we needed a new vision for new banking. And I kept dreaming that somebody would start this bank. And I started dreaming about me becoming an entrepreneur. And I thought, well, somebody's going to do it. And then one morning I thought, I know nothing about fashion. I know a lot about banking. I'm going to start a bank. And when I started knocking on doors, you know, what, what would happen would be I'd sit in the mornings, you know, writing my emails to important people in the city and saying, I've got this great idea. Um, a new bank, new technology, fair to customers, would, you know, would take on the big boys and win. And people just didn't believe me. But I wrote lots and lots of emails from, you know, some various places and knocking on doors and saying, you know, I'm going to start a bank. And most people thought I was totally crazy. Yeah. But of course, you know, one of the big uh, the big accusations of the banks back in uh, the late 2000s was, you know, they thought they were too big to fail. They weren't. They did. Um, but you were too small to fail in a way. And that is true, isn't it? Yeah, that can yeah. be true. And the story of starting Starling is quite an up and down story. I've written a book, Banking on It, which is the story of 
how difficult it is to be an entrepreneur and quite difficult it is to take on big institutions. Um, we now, we've now grown. We have 2.7 million customers. We've got half the market share of Barclays in SME banking in the UK. How do Barclays feel about that? I don't think Barclays are that happy about it. But we have a different way of engaging. We you know, we believe, and the Starling people, the people that work in Starling, and we have 1,800 people, mm. really believe it is possible to have a bank that does things in a great way, engages, feels, empathises with customers. Yeah, and that's the best time. But the thing is, it has a culture. Now, I don't really know much about Starling Bank. You know I don't own a phone. I don't even have a phone. So so I can't engage with it, but I sort of want to. But Because I sort of want to be part of the gang because it sounds exciting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and banks and other companies, they've just become stuck. And I heard this thing about Google the other day, that Google, you know, Google came out of some 20-something-year-old uh, genius minds, have now, as opposed to be becoming a, a tech innovator, which is how they began, you know, uh, a, a tech sort of DNA creator, they're now a tech blocker because it's not in their interest. And so so you must have faced this from the big five. Mm. Um, and, and what were the tempos of your sort of early strategy? What did you have to do on your laptop, as well as, you know, virtually knocking on people's doors? What, how, what are the foundations of your bank? Well, the, the, the most difficult thing is getting a banking licence. We look after people's money. Right. So the money is guaranteed by the financial services compensation scheme so um so the regulator wants to make sure that you're capable of running the bank and everything work well and everything is highly resilient and and making sure that we give good customer service and we are top of the rankings in all the various um surveys uh, as far as customer service is concerned so the regulator says this bank must be safe and then then the investors want this bank to be profitable and the VCs, the venture capitalists from Silicon Valley, want you to take over the world. Are you, so do you, are you involved with Silicon Valley then? Well, I've been all over Silicon Valley wow, raising money. Wow, good yeah, for you. Yeah. They're not very keen on actually investing in, you know, sort of in women in their 50s or starting banks. But we made it, did it in the end. They and are we, now. Yeah, they are now. Yeah, yeah. well, they are now, everyone. Because you do have one particular white knight. Can you talk about him or not? Oh, uh, you, 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 mean, you mean Harry? Yeah. Yeah, um, I was very. I tried to raise money for two years, and nobody would. Nobody would invest. The plan was too audacious. You mean you're going to use all new technology? You, you're not going to. You know, you can be fair to customers, so things are going to be really um, um, cost-effective for customers, and it's going to be the best technology. And you're going to do all these things, and you're going to take bar- market share off the big boys. We don't believe you, but um, an investor um, heard about the story. He read about the story in a magazine and heard about the story about fintech, what's happening in the UK. And he contacted me and he grilled me for two to three days. All the difficult, complex questions about what if this, what what it is, you know, know, how how is the bank going to be really different? Right. And, you know, how are you going to use machine learning? How are you going to use data? How are you going to really make a difference? And... What you're trying to do, Anne, is is impossible. Nobody's ever done it, and he believed the story. And after you know three or four days, um, he was convinced and um, offered me a substantial amount of money to start. Starling. I mean, it, it's we won't say it on the air. We don't have to, but it is documented, isn't it? Yeah, it's and, documented. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. And it's not just been one sort of um, uh, uh, explosion of funding. There've been several. Yeah. Great to talk to you.
Thank you very much. You've my, got one extra customer while you've been talking. My wife's starting a menopause <laughs> business and she's going to bank with Starling Bank. Brilliant. Thank you so much. All Thanks, right. customers. Other banks are available, everybody. <laughs> but uh, that is Anne Bowden, who started up Starling Bank, um, now conservatively estimated to be worth at least a couple, three or four billion actual pounds. Wow, what a story. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. If a change is as good as a rest, then our next guest is like a two-week holiday. She's an economist, award-winning professor and podcast host and her best-selling book, How to Change, is out now in paperback. So if you're stuck in a rut, just turn to the milkman too. Professor Katie Milkman. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Chris. Oh, thanks so much. She's been to bed. She set her alarm. It's half past four where she is right now. Um, Katie, uh, could you... If I was to become a scientist, I think I, I would like to become a behavioural scientist. I think it's my favourite science. It's the one I'm most drawn to. I find it fascinating. Can you describe to people what kind of things you behavioural scientist people get up to? Oh, we get up to such fun things. We study how you make decisions and we think about how to help you achieve your goals and uh, why it is that you sometimes make poor choices about everything from your health to your finances. So we have a lot of fun. And how does that help you? Because often, you know, um, we are uh, taught by the wounded healer. You know, can you help yourself as much as you help other people? Because, of course, where you're concerned, from your point of view, your emotions are involved. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's funny. um, I think there's two types of behavioral scientists in the world. There's the type who sort of don't have any of the flaws and look at all these other weird creatures on the planet and decide, I have to study them. What's wrong with them? And then there's the other group that make mistakes left and right and can't understand themselves and want to fix themselves and study behavioral science. And I definitely fit in the second category of people who need this stuff. I know. Well, that uh, that can be very useful to all of us um, if you have that kind of inspiration and motivation. I love what you do. You know that, Katie. You've been on the show before. Aww. I love your podcast, you. Choiceology. I re- I couldn't recommend it highly enough to the whole world. It is brilliantly produced. It's it's tight. It's bright. There's always a, uh, there's a story. It's a half an hour usually, or something. Never longer than that. The first half is a story, and the second is the analysis and lessons that you can learn from that story. It's as simple as that. Um, and you know that's the great thing about your writing you distill it so beautifully for us um uh, which is absolutely awesome they say if you want to understand anything completely and uh, then you need to teach it because to, in order to teach it you have to become an expert in it um, so just well done and being amazing thank you that's so kind of you, <laughs> well, you so, made my day well, you're so good and like every time you know i've read your book three times now uh, i read it twice last year and i read it once uh, yesterday and the day before you know and, my goodness and i always think i always think you make it sound so simple, but it, decisions, you know, decision trees can be exhausting. Uh, but decision, be. decision trees can be useful. All you've got to do is get the right, plant the right seed, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and look after your tree. Um, you know, load the bases in your favour. Have your goals in mind. Um, have a little look at them every now and again. Um, and if you have the right sort of mission statement, personal mission statement, all you have to do, really, Katie, isn't it, is you say, does this does this next decision get me close to that or not? Yeah, I mean, I, I to give credit to the people who are struggling, I just want to say I do think it's hard, right? There's so many aspects of our personalities that work against change from our desire for instant gratification to um, 
the fact that we can lack confidence and that our habits can get in the way. But there's absolutely a science, as you point out, to making it easier. Yeah. Okay. Let's get into the weeds. Okay. Because people love you and they love your um, super hacks. And in Katie's book, How to Change the Science of Getting Where You Want to Be, this will, honestly, it will make your life better from the moment you begin to read it. At the end of every chapter, there are takeaways. So let's just dive into a couple of those. So um, chapter number one, um, uh, once the book gets underway, and the introductions are brilliant, by the two best intros I've ever read. It's called Getting Started. So let's just go to the takeaways one of the takeaways here put a date on it so important this is a fresh start whether it's real psychological chronological how important is that can you give us some examples yeah absolutely this is one of my favorite things i've ever studied and uh it came from actually an executive at google who asked me if there was some ideal time to encourage change among his employees and I thought it was such a fascinating question and naturally started thinking about New Year's resolutions. Um, but what my collaborators and I have shown is actually there are many dates besides the new year in our life that feel like new beginnings, that they feel like we're, we are facing a chapter break. You're literally holding up my book so I can, <laughs> I can think about chapter <laughs> breaks. And, and when we feel like we have a chapter break in life, we get this sense that there's a discontinuity. You can say, you know, Last year, that was the old me who wanted to quit smoking and didn't get around to it. But this is the new me. The new me can do it. And we get that fresh start feeling at the start of a new week, at the start of a new month, um, following birthdays, following certain holidays that we associate with fresh starts, and also when we make a move or a transition at work. So anytime that to you feels like a fresh start, it turns out the research shows you can use that feeling of change to propel you towards a new goal. Yeah, and also the language is important, isn't it? Because the fresher you frame that start with fresher sort of almost um, words that that inspire a rebirth, that can be helpful too. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think actually the language that you're describing, it's part of lots of religions, right? So it's not like... Uh, people haven't discovered this and tried to put it to good use for literally thousands of years. But interestingly, the science is just catching up and pointing to these moments and the opportunity they provide. So I, I think it's really fascinating that um, that this is something many people have been doing, many religions, again, have been doing for ages. And yet we're just starting to understand its power and that anyone, whether they're religious or not, you know, no matter what their belief system can capitalize on the right time to make a change. Katie, thanks, thanks for getting up. Thanks for your genius. I hope to talk to you again one uh, time uh, in the future, if not more. I'm a big fan. Thank you so much. Good night. God bless. Thank you so much, Chris. This was a pleasure. That's awesome. Katie Milkman, live on the line for Philadelphia. You've got to go. Bye, Bass. Bye, Chris. Ta-da. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky. Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.